Hi everyone, today I'm joined by Kai, the Built Student Fellow for Experiences of Students with Disabilities to discuss mental health inequalities and the impact of the pandemic, blended learning and online community on marginalised groups' mental health. Thank you so much for joining, Kai. Hi, it's lovely to be here. The pandemic and the shift to blended learning and online learning marked a period of uncertainty and disruption, which has had such a massive impact on a lot of students' mental health and well-being especially with an increase of symptoms of depression and anxiety for UOB students. And as we move to understanding this impact, I think it's really important to recognise the inequalities in mental health and well-being and to integrate more discussions about equality and diversity uh, and inclusion into our well-being discussions and also into our well-being strategies. Many marginalised and minority groups in our student community and in wider society, especially LGBTQ plus and disabled students, experience disproportionately high levels of mental health problems and poor well-being. So before I chat with Kai, I wanted to draw attention to the University of Bristol 2021 Wellbeing Survey, the results which I thought were very revealing about mental health inequalities. Poor mental health measured by depression and anxiety was more common in female than male students at 49% compared with 44%. And it was far greater in minority gender, such as non-binary and transgender students, measuring at 76%. Also, students with physical disabilities showed a marked deterioration in their mental health and well-being in 2021. And LGBTQ plus students showed far higher levels of anxiety at 50%. Uh, students with physical disabilities at 56% and students with non-physical disabilities at 65%. So today Kai is going to be answering some questions that I have for them about this topic and just talking more about all of this. So yeah, it'd be great if you could start off by telling us a little about yourself, who you are as a student, as well as what you do for BUILT. Uh, Hi, Um, yes, it's lovely to be here. I'm Kai and I am a working class disabled trans lesbian. So um, fit all the boxes, Um, it's great. (laughs) Um, So yeah, and I work for the BALT as a student fellow. I'm looking at the experiences of disabled students and I'm currently putting together a zine um, looking at the intersection of disability and poverty in students um, and how that affects their experiences. I've struggled a lot with mental health over the years as well as just um, working out and coming to a place of joy with my gender identity and sexuality and I also study maths and philosophy at the uni so yeah that's me. It's great to be here, Ellen. Thank you so much for that. And I'm really, really looking forward to your Z and I can't wait for it to come out. But yeah, I'm actually really excited to have this conversation with you because I know as a student with a physical disability, blended learning has been really, really helpful for you and provided you a lot of opportunities. But yeah, of course, there's still so many challenges and barriers that it's caused for a lot of marginalised students as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting to the nitty gritty of it. So firstly, I just wanted to know how do you think blended learning has impacted your experience as a disabled and LGBTQ plus student and how it's impacted your mental health? Well, for the start, I come from a position as somebody with quite severe physical, dis- well, I say quite severe, I have very severe CFS and chronic illnesses. So for me, blended learning was sort of a godsend for my education. It allowed me not to drop out after first year, which I certainly would have done. And it allowed me to 
interact with other students, to become a part of university life, to interact in tutorials and lectures. So I come from the unique position of being the person who it would almost benefit most. But in terms of talking here about purely online learning, because I want to carefully delineate between blended learning, which I'm massively an advocate for, the possibility at least of a hybrid approach for disabled students and this purely online sort of learning we had during the pandemic, I do think that it had a tendency to be to make interaction with other students and with, uh, and with queer and disabled community quite difficult. So it could be quite isolating. Now, I'm lucky to have a relatively accepting family, but I know a lot of friends of mine um, don't have accepting families. So for them to be isolated with those families for the entirety of the pandemic was extremely detrimental to their mental health, to be isolated from friends, to be stuck in often quite toxic situations especially, again, being queer, being LGBT, being trans, being forced to remain closeted for over a year. All of these had massive effects on their mental health. Add on to this the just obvious effects of being stuck in your room for two years, which, are ne- which I mean, we've seen have been terrible for mental health. I think everybody I know spiralled during the pandemic and the effects of often being separated from your support, support system during such a difficult time and with disability being terrified for your own health. It all makes it an incredibly difficult time for mental health. For me, if we go back to this focus on blended learning, because it's so hard to separate the two almost, the situation that caused it and the thing itself. I did struggle with things like Discord events. I'm terrible at technology, unless it's Zoom. I'm great at Zoom. Anything else? Terrible (laughs) at it. Um, So I was quite isolated from that community, but on the flip side, the opportunity to do things online so massively heightened my ability to interact with other students, to interact with learning that... I would take it any day. To give a quite clear example, I think, we can look at my second term of my second year, which was all blended learning, and I had, I think, a near 100% attendance. And we compare that to my current attendance, which I think I've attended maybe four or five lectures this term, bumped that up to maybe eight or nine this academic year. And I think this gives quite a clear picture. Similarly, I have been unable to attend any of the events from the SU, unlike last, when it was online, where I was able to attend a few. So, yeah, for me, at least, at least having the opportunity to do things online is of paramount importance for accessibility. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you, Kai. And I think that's a really important point that you made about separating COVID and the pandemic and the experience of online learning then and what blended learning is or hopefully can be. And making sure that we do implement blended learning in a way that's not going back to the isolation of the pandemic. Because <laughs> clearly, as Kai has talked about, that had a lot of really horrendous impacts on a lot of people's mental health, including, or maybe especially, LGBTQ plus students. But yeah, but on the other hand, blended learning and the experience that Kai had with being able to attend so many more of their lectures and this kind of thing, like that can also have a huge... Uh, clearly it's also had a huge impact on accessibility and also knock on I'm assuming your mental health as well because oh absolutely without it I wouldn't have had a future almost to a degree it saved it saved me from a definitely a massive depressive spiral and for a lot of my friends it's the same so many people I've met, met with some of them without physical disabilities have said that 
they desperately wish that there was an option for online learning because they're really struggling with fully in person. Like, so yeah, the opportunity to do it, I think, is a massive benefit. I, in fact, every disabled person I've talked to has confirmed that they would massively benefit from the option to do, participate online. Definitely. That's definitely come up so much in the feedback that I've been getting this year. I think the people that I've spoken to have had the most positive experiences of blended learning are those people with accessibility issues, whether it's a disability or a care responsibility or something like that. I think I've from them I've heard a sense of kind of the reducing stress and pressure that it's allowed for them and like reducing all the little bits of admin that can make things so much more difficult that's come up a lot oh absolutely yeah it definitely reduces that administrative burden disabled students have almost a second job in terms of filling in forms getting to appointments ensuring they're getting the money and support they need is incredibly stressful and adds a massive amount of pressure and work onto their daily load so any added admin that you have to do for getting to lectures which can be all sorts of things just timetabling making sure you have a taxi to go there in the morning, making sure there's someone who's going to be with you all the time whilst you're in town, making sure you can get food, Um, particularly this is an issue if you've got issues with uh, money. All of these make it incredibly stressful just to get to a lecture. And kind of leading on from that, because I think that fits in very nicely with one of my questions about accessing support and support from the university. So in the wellbeing survey that I mentioned earlier, Marginalised groups such as international, LGBTQ plus students, black and minority ethnic students, they've reported particular barriers to accessing support in relation to understanding, documentation and confidentiality. And LGBTQ plus students and students with disabilities have ongoing problems accessing services. So I was just wondering, through kind of the the like greater online access we have now and how blended learning is with a lot more like Zoom calls and Teams calls and this kind of more like digitally connected way of doing things. And as a disabled and LGBTQ plus student, to what degree have you been able to access this kind of support? Has it been easier, harder? And to what sense do you feel community and support from the university? That's a tricky one. I think there are people within the university who've been very enthusiastic to help me Um, I think particularly one of my heads of school has been really helpful however I've often found it difficult to navigate where to go for that support it's often taken me a lot longer because perhaps I have a personal tutor who isn't replying to me for weeks because um, I don't know which emails I, I need to do, which forms I need to fill in. There is, it doesn't appear to be a comprehensive document which tells disabled students and LGBT students where to go, what, to, what steps you need to take to get the support. Much of the support that is available, I was completely unaware of until this year. There's a certain amount of disorganisation or at least difficulty in navigation which leads students to be... unaware of what support is available and what help they can get and this can be really difficult and do you think with things moving more online that's changed at all or got worse got better it certainly got easier now that we're online to access support Uh, you don't have to get to a meeting for your therapist anymore and you can do it on zoom rather than phone call in fact 
every therapy session I have, an occupational therapist session I have is on Zoom. So that's been a massive improvement. I know a lot of kids who wouldn't get therapy if they didn't have Zoom. However, I think the one difficulty with the blended approach, or not the blended approach, but the email and Zoom approach with a personal tutor, at least the email approach is, it's a bit easier for them to ignore you. So if you have a a slightly disorganized personal tutor, it's much easier for them to ignore your emails and reply to you three weeks late than if you're knocking on their door. I mean, the the other flip side to this is there's no way I'd be able to get to knock on my personal tutor's door. So at least it's one option for um, communicating with him. I think what some personal tutors do, which I think is really good, is they have a drop-in session online. Mm -hmm. So on Teams, for example... I guess it's like the online equivalent mm. of going and knocking on someone's door. Yeah. Um, which just means that people who can't go in and knock on yeah. somebody's door can still knock on somebody's door in a sense and speak to a person. You can actually see their face or like hear their voice rather than through a weird impersonal email. Yeah, I absolutely think that's a great way to do things is having these kind of drop-in sessions and... It allows for students to meet their personal tutor to get that input and interaction and then they can hopefully get a picture of what kind of support that student will need. And I think that, yeah, those are brilliant ways of doing it because once you've worked out how to use Zoom, it can be an amazing tool for ideally creating some degree of that connection you feel in person whilst also allowing for the accessibility that is afforded by email or online. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and going back a little bit to us talking about community, to what degree do you think that with blended learning and communities being built online, have you felt a community with your peers and other students who have shared your experiences? For example, did you go to like an online event with the Disability Network or anything like that? Um, So I think you have two components of this, the sort of university-led online spaces and these quite formal um, examples which for instance that this is like a disability meetup online we can think of perhaps I actually attempted to attend a discord creative writing meetup I didn't know how to use the unmute button on discord <laughs> so the less said about that the better but um, you know that these are these quite almost well we'll call them formal they meet at once a week perhaps once a month they have an online event everyone chats in basically a zoom room and does some activity um, I think the LGBT society had like an among us discord server or something and then we have this other kind of more organic example from people of student age where we have these sort of spaces in which you have maybe marginalized communities coming together art communities activist communities and we have these across various platforms like Twitter Instagram um Places like, I think, Tumblr has this sort of thing. You have this more organic growth of a kind of online spaces where you have people interacting through um, artwork, comment sections, conversations. And I think both of these can provide community, but it is worth noting that neither is, from my experience, neither is a substitute for true in-person community. The university kind of events, I actually do love Zoom events and I have a grief support group I go to um, for young people and on Zoom and it's really brilliant. I really love it. I love chatting to the people on there. But it is very different from an in-person event. In some ways it's better for certain people, it's better who have anxiety issues. 
but the kind of connection you can have in person, the kind of casual friendships that can grow and slow growth of relationships is something that I can think can be very difficult over the internet, whether it's via Zoom where everyone's going to be looking at you, whatever you're saying, or via a comment section or online messaging. Either way, there is something that's lost from genuine kind of in-person human connection. Neither are invaluable and they both have benefits that human connection doesn't, but one can't be substituted for the other. So I think, yeah, a really interesting one. I think the one thing I did notice with the kind of SU events online is, at least from what I noticed, they didn't seem to be well attended. It seemed to be a group, a core group of people who'd probably been there in person before the pandemic who would go along each week. And they didn't appear to be, I didn't see much traction on any of them. Yeah, I think that's really, yeah, the point about the attendance is really interesting because I think that's why a lot of those kind of events, the online events have somewhat come to an end, especially the more the ones that are more social rather than like, talks and that kind of thing online because of attendance and because so many people like you said prefer the genuine in-person connection but then at the same time for like some those are just so much more accessible and it feels like a shame that they're going away but then they weren't being attended so I don't really know what the right way is yeah no this is one where there's almost no right answer of what can be done because, yeah, they weren't being attended. I didn't attend them because I couldn't work out Discord. And I honestly probably wouldn't have found them that interesting if I did. I prefer in-person communication. And I'm not someone who's involved with, like, SU events at all, really. You know, most of my community is outside of the university. So I'm probably one of the worst people to come to on this question. <laughs> but that's useful in itself because yeah. it's like, why... Why is it outside the university? I mean, yeah, probably partly because so many of the events aren't necessarily that accessible to someone like me. Yeah. Also, I just want to pick up again on your comment that you made about online community not being a substitute for in-person community. I think that's really important to say and note and maybe online community can be seen as if we're talking about isolation and loneliness and that kind of well-being and that kind of impact on mental health. Online community can definitely be a treatment for sure, but not a full cure to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It can provide a really important connection to people outside of the home when you're very isolated. However, it really can't stand up to in-person connection. There's that element of being able to sit with someone and read together, of being able to go for a coffee, buy each other meals, show each other your favourite places that you can't find online. And whilst you can create beautiful friendships online, I think it is hard to match the closeness of in-person relationships and in-person friendships. Um, That's not to put down any long-distance relationships or friendships at all. Past that... It's easier to obtain support and easier to have a reliable community from in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And also, I guess, tying back to what was said right at the beginning of the podcast about differentiating between online and blended learning. So we can apply that to the ideas of building like online community versus in person and maybe like it sounds weird to phrase it like this but like blended community if we're talking about it as online and in person and the values that both can bring for a lot of students rather than maybe one or the other might be a good way to think about it especially now as 
online communities are really important, but it's not as necessary in the way that it was during the pandemic where it had to all be online. Maybe now it is helpful to think about how we can do both and how they can be integrated together in a way that can really address a lot of people's isolation and lack of sense of community or belonging and also problems with accessibility. Yes, absolutely. I think a blended approach, again, is a brilliant compromise. If we go back to that one online event that I regularly attend, this sort of grief support group for 18 to 35 year olds, I also am intending to begin start attending um, an in-person one in Bristol. Our picnic goes on monthly. So we can see this like blended approach of in-person and online and the opportunity for both for students. If you have those options of accessing online community, particularly through something like Zoom, where you do have a sort of almost slightly dampened down version of that in-person connection, then it allows people with accessibility needs that opportunity to access these things whilst also allowing other people to have the in-person events which are absolutely needed. And I think that can be a really effective way of um, doing these things, of kind of compromising this, is making sure that that online community is accessible and is there. Mm -hmm. So um, making students or students aren't entirely isolated, whilst also ensuring that this kind of in-person community is very accessible is very easy to access as well and to add on to that having accessible in-person events is a great another great way to do that yeah absolutely I think that's really important because I think the accessibility conversation which I do think has become so much bigger with the blended learning conversation we also need to think about how how we make accessible the things that are in person and it's not just about making things accessible online but allowing students with accessibility issues to have in-person experiences and not being like oh but it's accessible by being online so that's the only experience that you can access I think that's very important I'm really glad that we've been able to talk about some solutions and some steps that can be taken to improve things and what steps do you think that the university can take itself to address all these issues that we're talking about in terms of blended learning and uh, mental health inequalities? I think if they took a really serious look at what was needed, and for instance, one thing I'd love to see is when you have students with complex disabilities coming to the university, immediately setting up having them, and I mean, you know, there's 20% of students that are disabled at the university, so this isn't possible for all students, but with students who are particularly severe, health conditions or multiple health conditions if immediately a meeting could be set up with disability advisors who would give them info on everything that they could get help with and try and ensure that their needs are met before they join the university Mm -hmm. students should be on a level playing field right now we're not certain students have what they should what everyone should have which is good support financial security and support in their needs to requ- uh, regarding health other students are struggling to eat struggling to pay rent going into debt and watching their grades spiral as a result um, this shouldn't be the case no student should lose their future or drop out because they're disabled or because they're poor or because they're both mm-hmm. when we're talking about those big issues I feel like people separate them from well-being and discussions about mental health as if they're not 
connected and one doesn't impact massively on the other. A lot of the time, I think conversations about well-being and mental health are about asking for help and like speaking to your well-being advisor, which is important, but it's not treating the root cause of the issue, which is often a lot of the things that you've just mentioned. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, they say, ask for help. Well, what help are you going to give? I mean, as somebody who, you know, I have a therapist, she's amazing, really helped me, but there's a lot of things she can't help me on. When I'm having stressing because I'm my money is going down very quickly, I don't have enough to eat, uh, my family is very poor, you know, they don't have enough, and I can't afford my rent, so I'm going to have to lose my housing. My therapist can't help me with that. She can try and help give me some, like, options or ideas at solutions but that's about as much as she can do she can't exactly just transfer me 200 quid at this point there's only so much a therapist can do there's only so much it's fair to ask a therapist to be able to do mm-hmm. so there needs to be a much bigger more root cause solutions really or ways of solutions because i mean you look at it statistically mental health issues are much higher for people living in poverty, people from any marginalisation. And particularly when we look at this, as we were talking about earlier, LGBT people, which um, I'm part of the group, that group, we see a lot of students who have very little support from their families, a lot of students who are thrown out, a lot of students who are completely cut off from their families and from any support network you'd normally have. So, yeah, we need kind of bigger solutions, I think. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I think that's a really good place to end thank you so much for sharing your experiences with me today and your knowledge um you're clearly very passionate about this <laughs> rightly so um and you always have so much to say which i really appreciate so thank you for coming i can definitely ramble a lot <laughs> we love a good ramble don't god love a good ramble <laughs> um yeah well thank you for having me it was yeah lovely coming on the podcast today and yeah Thank you to everybody who's been listening. We really hope that it's been useful and insightful for you. Thank you and goodbye.